Further ado, while Bill Jenkin, the third, the infamous one, uh, actually he's not infamous, that means widely known because of bad conduct, but uh, his good conduct is what we know him for, and it's my privilege to invite my friend, over 20 years yeah. we've known each other yeah. and done ministry together, and uh, so I'm excited for you to come and share what the Lord's laid on your heart. God bless you, Pastor. Good morning. And Pastor, thanks for having us. My wife, Terry is sitting here. We have been married 49 years and 49 weeks. Uh, they're, they're, right? No, more than that, 51. I shouldn't have started down that road. We'll have our anniversary, we'll have our anniversary uh, March 4th, our 50th anniversary. So praise the Lord for that. If you would turn with me, please, to 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, you should have a handout that says the greatness of Jesus Christ or the greatness of Jesus Christ for men. And we're going to be digging into 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Let me read that. We'll briefly pray together and then we'll just dig right into the word of God. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." First of all, I want you to see a portrait of Jesus Christ. It tells us who Christ is. This could be edifying just to know who Christ is, but the whole context is this is who Jesus Christ is, and this is how it affects you. So the first thing we see in that portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ is that he is the Christ of power. Look at the verse again. According as his divine power. Anything that we can accomplish for the Lord, it has to be through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that as we are in him, we will bear much fruit. The very same verse says that without him, you can do nothing. And so anything that we need, we're not talking about, uh, we're not talking about some kind of prosperity theology, I don't mean anything we need, houses and cars and land and checking account. We're not talking about that. We're talking about spiritual resources. We're talking about God giving us everything we need to live the kind of life that we're supposed to live. Now, I find it interesting as we travel. Terry and I are on the road. Well, we're in uh, about our 20th day of 80 on the road now, we moved to Montana, our home state. We're both natives. We moved to Montana in July, and then shortly after that, spent 70 days on the road. We got back on Thanksgiving Day, and a couple days later, not complaining, not overly tired, I just said to her kind of casually, we had 70 days on the road. We'll not do that anymore. And then I counted up this trip and figured out that it's 80 days. We have control of our schedule. 
If someone else did my schedule, I'd be mad. But we do it ourselves. So we see as we travel, many times, God gives houses and cars and land and beautiful homes. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what this is talking about. He is the Christ of power to give us anything that we need for godliness. It's important that we understand that. The second thing that we saw, we're reviewing from this morning, so we'll take less time. He is the Christ of generosity. Look at verse 3. He has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Peter is saying that Jesus Christ tells us what to live, and then he enables us to do it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, My God shall supply all your need according to the riches of his glory. We understand that in Christ we can do all things for his honor, for his glory. All of these resources, dear people, are given to us so that we can go do what God wants us to do. They're not given to us so we can go do what we want to do, even if we think they're noble pursuits. God will lead us and direct us. But these are for his power, and maybe he wants you to do those special things for him. Who knows? Well, God does, and you can as well. Thirdly, he is the Christ by whom we escape the world's corruption. Look at verse 4. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We took more time in Sunday school than we will now, but this is a positional truth. It's something that God has accomplished for us, but it's a positional truth, and it has ongoing practical and progressive necessities. We are, we have escaped the corruption that is in the world. So he's saying, now act like it. Act like who you are in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, where sin abounded, grace does much more abound. And Paul knew, the apostle Paul back in Romans, Paul knew the, the mind, the warped mind of those believers in Rome and us, if we're not careful, and they put two and two together, hmm, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So sin is a good thing, they wrongly thought. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, so my sin is this big, and God's grace is this big. If my sin is this big, God's grace is this big, aha. So the more I sin, the more God's grace will abound. I'll sin a lot. If you don't think that I've got it right, Romans chapter 6, very next verse, says, shall we sin, shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound? He knew what they were thinking. That's calling writing from a polemic standpoint. He's writing ap apologetics, not to apologize, but he's anticipating their argument. He knew they would say, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, he said. So they would say, let's sin a lot. <clears throat> let's sin a lot and give God's grace an opportunity to manifest itself. And he says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? So we have escaped the world's corruption. And then fifthly, we saw that he is the Christ who makes us sharers in the divine nature. Some of these overlap, but it's okay that they overlap because we need that. And so, verse 4, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. 
He has given us abundant life, according to John chapter 10, verse 10. And we share in the divine nature. That doesn't mean we are becoming gods. That doesn't mean we will, will become a god. That means that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. He comes to indwell us. It's nothing. You say, wow, I didn't know that. I better ask for that. You don't have to ask for it. It's something God does because of who he is. And so we are partakers of the divine nature. And the encouragement to us, again, is, well, act like who you are in Christ. So then let's move on. Now we see a portrait of you equipped. First, we saw this portrait of who Jesus Christ is. Friends, get your doctrine right. Your doctrine will affect your demonstration. I heard someone say, don't say amen, you'll be embarrassed, but I heard someone say, our demonstration is more important than our definition. Hmm, what's our definition? Doctrine. Our demonstration is more important than our doctrine. Hmm, let's, let's wait. Wait before we say amen. If we get our doctrine wrong, then our demonstration will be wrong. You don't have to witness to people very long before you hear somebody say, doctrine's not important. Well, doctrine is what we believe, dear people. And, and what we believe is important to our actions. It's essential to our actions. <clears throat> so get the doctrine right in every area. Prayer. If you don't have your doctrine right in prayer, you won't know how to pray correctly. A, a living, day-by-day -day living. Get your doctrine right. So I won't say that our demonstration is more important than our definition slash. It sounds a little cleaner if you say uh, definition rather than doctrine, but definition is what doctrine is. I won't say it's more important. Our demonstration is more important than doctrine. It's not. Get the doctrine right. But our demonstration is supremely important. Our doctrine is supremely important. Both. It's why do we think, I wonder sometimes, I, it's going to be either or. No. No, let's get both and let's get the doctrine right, which we're doing. And then let's ask God as he empowers us from within with that blessed Holy Spirit made us partakers of the divine nature. Let's ask him to help us live the way we ought to live. And so we have this portrait here and it all begins with faith. I'm not bashful to say, are you sure? You're sure. You're sure that there's been a time in your life when you've made a decision to accept Jesus Christ <clears throat> as your Savior. That's really important. I, I was preaching in Westgate Baptist Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a missions conference many years ago. A lady was sitting like on the first row. She's a Latino lady. Her name was Sally. And Sally is taking in every word. And, and there are people here that I haven't earmarked you, but there are people here that I'll glance to from time to time. I already discovered in Sunday school that you're engaged. And that's encouraging to a preacher. And I mean to tell you, this lady was engaged. And I got to the end of the message and I said, now if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, these things don't apply to you. And her continence which had been seemingly glowing, sitting, literally sitting on the edge of the chair, taking notes, nodding her head. Her countenance fell. When I said, if you don't know, if there's ever been a time in your life when you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, these things don't apply to you. 
And when I gave an invitation, she came forward. And she received Christ as Savior. I called back uh, <clears throat> maybe a month or so later. I didn't keep track. I called the church for another reason. She answered the phone. She was now the secretary of the church. And she said, Pastor Bill, she said, I was so engaged. And I, I didn't say, I knew you were. But I'm listening. I was so engaged. And she says, when you got to the end of the sermon and said, these things don't apply to me if I don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. She says, I don't even feel like I had a choice. I received Christ as my Savior. He's changed my life. I just came from Faith Baptist Bible College and had three opportunities in the seminary. If my voice is rough, it's not because I'm, I'm sick. I'm feeling great. I really am. In fact, we can go outside and wrestle after the service if you want. I'm old, but I fight dirty. And no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And my assignment was preaching evangelistically. So here I have, you look at this and you say, this is not an evangelistic message. This is not a message solely to appeal to those who don't know Christ as Savior. My goal today is to feed those of you who do know Christ as Savior. But then to make it very, very clear, these truths are for those who have received Christ as Savior. There's the evangelism appeal, that if you don't know Christ as Savior, you need to accept Christ as your Savior. And I know this is not new news to this church. Praise the Lord for that. So it all begins with faith. Simple belief that Jesus Christ is true and what Jesus Christ said is true and what the Bible says about Jesus Christ is true even though it's seemingly narrow-minded. How so? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Whoa. That's not politically correct, but it's true. It's a belief that the Bible is true. It's a belief that you can count on it. It's a belief that we can commit ourselves to his promises. It is the unquestioning, really? Well, get into the word of God. The Bible will answer your questions. We're not saying follow blind faith. We're saying follow faith in the word of God. It's a word of God that should mold you. We can commit ourselves to the promises with unquestion, unquestioning certainty that the way to <clears throat> happiness and peace, that's not our main goal. But it's a benefit of knowing Christ as Savior. This is a good life. That the way to happiness and peace is, is to be strengthened by him and accept him at his word. So we see then Seven, what's coming now? Seven building blocks to your faith. We could call these ladders of qualities. And I'm mindful of the children that are here. My goal is to teach so the children would be able to understand. But not in such a way that we'd say, oh boy, that's so basic. Listen, dear people, you know where most of us fail? I, ju I, just, I just finished teaching a 600-level class, or I should say participating. 600-level. You know, you go to college and it's 101, and then the second year is 200-something. 600-level. Wow! You know where most of us mess up? Christianity 101. The basic stuff. And so we're going to cover some of that basic stuff. First of all, he says in verse 5, virtue. And beside this... That is, beside or in addition to 
the fact that he is the Christ of power, he's the Christ of generosity, of exceeding great and precious promises. We've escaped the world's corruptions. We are partakers of the divine nature. Whew. And he says, besides this, giving all diligence, the idea of diligence is maybe hard work. Following Jesus Christ by faith does require some discipline on your part. The Greek word that is used here for add to your faith, virtue, the Greek word that is used for virtue is a word that was used of a piece of property that was fertile. A piece of property that is operative. This is supposed to be your life. A piece of property that is doing what it's supposed to do. And yet with that, this word virtue, it also includes the idea of courage. And so you combine the teaching. What's he talking about when he says virtue in verse 5? Well, here's a person with the courage from God to do what he's supposed to do. And a life of virtue is a life that's effective in the service of the Lord. Not just talking about full-time service. My appeal to you at the end of the day, at the end of these meetings on Wednesday, and, and we're supposed to get some snow, we're supposed to get dumped on with snow and, and use good sense, but uh, we could still have good meetings even because of the snow. The thing that I want to appeal to you is that you'd have effective service in the Lord, not just to go to full-time service. All right, how many of you are going to be missionaries and be missionaries with Continental Baptist missions? That's not my appeal. My appeal is Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion upon you. The second quality he mentions here is knowledge. Look at verse 5. And to virtue, do you see how they're stepping stones? Add to these things, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your virtue. I guess it would be this way for stepping stones. And then to virtue, add knowledge. This is the word that's practical knowledge. We could call it horse sense. It's the ability to apply wisdom to practical situations. The word is gnosis, where we would get our word gnostic. Gnostic is to know something. That's not a real common word in our society, but in the Greek language, when you preface a word by a, by a, it cancels the word. And here's a word you are familiar with that includes this agnostic. Now you'd pronounce the G, gnostic. You don't pronounce the G, but agno an agnostic is someone who doesn't know. So he's saying, add to your virtue, gnosis, knowledge, this practical knowledge, be able to handle life in the practical situations. This is the knowledge, here, here's, where, here's where it affects us. Here's the knowledge that enables a man to choose wisely in the circumstances and the situations of life when we're being pressed to do the right thing or do the wrong thing. In Christ, we can choose wisely. This is that practical knowledge. My dad would have called it horse sense. That's not a term that was limited to him. He would have said that person has moxie. And that means practical abilities. My dad would also say on the negative sense, Billy, 
that friend of yours, he doesn't have enough sense to pour water out of a boot if the instructions were written on the heel. <laughs> Let's go on. Temperance. Or to add to knowledge, temperance. And your version may say self-control. This is the middle ground. Not in a compromising way. But self-control is the balance between between two extremes. There is a control, a control of self, that's purely subjugated to reason. No feeling, just the facts. No emotion, just the facts. Who did you just think of? Some of you just thought of Dr. Spock. Well, not the other Dr. Spock, but the... The, the, uh, the space guy, Dr. Spock. And it all comes down to just the facts. There's no reasoning. That's not what God is asking us to do. Then, on, on that one extreme, just purely self-control, subjugated to reason, then on the other extreme is the state in which reason is subjugated to passion. And so it's all passion. This would be an individual that may say, I know what I believe, pastor. And you probably, you've, you've had to have this happen. I know what I feel. They wouldn't say these words, but the concept. Don't confuse the issue with facts. <laughs> pastor dealing with someone saying, you're doing this and, and you shouldn't be doing this. And, but I know what I feel. It was a popular song in the 70s. If it feels so good, how can it be wrong? We would be misguided if we hear, trust your feelings. You can always trust your feelings. Trust your heart. No, 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 no. Don't trust your heart. Your heart will get you in all kinds of trouble. So which is it? Just all reason and no emotion. Is that what the Christian is supposed to be? Just the facts. Even if we say just the facts of God's word. Or the other extreme where it's all emotion. No, this word that we're looking at here, this, this temperance or this self-control is the middle ground. The middle ground where our, our passions remain, but they're under complete control. Not control of me. I clench my fists and grit my teeth and say, I can do it, I can do it. But it's the balance, not in a compromising way, but, but reason and facts and passion. And it's not compromising on either one. And it's that middle ground. This is a control where our passions remain, but they're under complete control of the Holy Spirit of God. Thanks. They're under complete control of God. In that sense, passions become our servants. It's wrong if passions are our masters. Passions need to be our servants. We hear it said sometime in teaching men. Men, you need less passion. Dear men, we don't need less passion. We need more passion. But we need that, we need that passion controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what God does to us. For us, in us, 
This control comes by yielding ourselves to Christ in the workplace, in the church, in the home. We need passion under the biblical control of Jesus Christ. Ha! I was reminded last week we had a sportsman's dinner in uh, Altoona Regular Baptist Church in Iowa. And the pastor has twin boys and they were at the door welcoming people. And it reminded me of another church that I was in in Michigan and it was a winter day. And I've been there for Sunday school. I've been there for the morning service. And I'm coming back. And for some reason, I'm walking by myself. I'm coming back. And I see the pastor's kids, probably about seven years old and five years old. And the, pa the pastor's kids are greeting people. And, and yet I see some kind of interaction. I'm not close enough where I can hear yet. And, and you, you actually see some guys do this. Or, and everybody's smiling. I thought, isn't that neat? The pastor's sons are greeting people in the church. And... I got a little closer, and I heard one of the guys says, get out of here. And it was, it was fun, and they were playing. I got a little closer, and I heard what was going on. The pastor's sons were greeting people as they came into the church. And they said, and were saying, you can't come in unless you give us money. <laughs> I heard it about from me to you. And then as I got closer, they said to me, you can't come in unless you give us money. And I said, well, I'm the missionary. And the older one said, oh, well, then we give you money. I thought, all right, this pastor's training his kids. <laughs> and so I said, do you have any money? The parsonage was next door. And the older of the two pastor's kids says, yes, in my piggy bank. And he started to run. And I said, hold it, hold it, hold it. Come on back, come on back. I was only kidding. I'm not asking you to go rob your piggy bank for the missionaries. <laughs> passion but passion's under control I told a pastor you're training those boys well they know to give the money to the missionaries so the next one is patience and to temperance add patience this patience is not the patience whereby we just sit and Life's circumstances are so horrible, and they may be difficult. It could be cancer. Life's circumstances are so horrible, and they can be difficult. It may be severed relationships. Life's circumstances are so horrible that I just sit and twiddle my thumbs and say, I'm so patient. That's not this word. There is a word of patience of really just waiting, just waiting. This is not it. This word for patience is a conquering endurance. This word for patience is a cheerful and even a hopeful. Now, when we say hope in the biblical context, it means confidence. The hope of Jesus Christ means the confidence. It doesn't mean I hope it doesn't snow 10 inches tomorrow. This hope is a confidence. It's a consistency. It's an endurance. And this is a hope. This specific word for patience is, is a conquering endurance regardless of the circumstances. Or this word very specifically means regardless of people. Pastor, you got any people that wear you down? Don't answer. There are. There are some people that wear me down. There are some friends of mine. But I want to tell you something. They're high maintenance. 
I had enough of this. No. Now, I do ask the Lord to help me understand if they're teachable. And if they are, I'm just going to keep pouring into their lives. But this word means a conquering endurance regardless of difficult circumstances or specifically people. We can keep loving them. We can just somehow grit our teeth and clench our fists and find more love. No, no, no. We can continue loving them because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts. So technically, if I need more love for Brother Lemke, oh, he probably turned me off. We were streaming. Yeah, we're probably done now. Actually, we have a good relationship. He's my probation officer. Notice how I said it that way, Pastor? That, yeah, well, no, I, I, I want a kid. But if I say he's my probation officer, you'd look at me and say, yeah, he's kidding. But if I said I'm his probation officer, you'd look at him and say, I believe it. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> We're friends. If it was true that I can't get along with this guy or he can't get along with me, technically, it's wrong to say, Lord, I need more patience to get along with Bill. I need more love. To, i, I got to have more love to get along with that. Technically, that's wrong. Romans 5.5 5 says, the love of God is shed abroad in your life. So, Brother Lemke, it's not where I need more love for you or you need more love for me. And I've got friends like this, and we have wonderful relationships. It's that, Lord, help me draw on the love that's already mine. You see, God has equipped me. Patience. A conquering endurance, regardless of circumstances, regardless of people. The next word is godliness. And unto patience. Do you see how this is all stepped up? Unto patience, godliness. This word godliness is a two-directional word. It's piety. It, it refers to having a right relationship with God. You would expect that. Isn't the Bible amazing? It's not only having a right relationship with God, but it's a two-directional concept, having a right relationship with God, and because I have the right relationship with God, I can have the right relationship with you. In other words, we're just, in other, otherwise, if this were not true, and, and religion doesn't provide this. Philosophy doesn't provide this. We're just kind of left to our own and try to get along with that guy. Try to get along with God and try to get along with that. We have godliness. Having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with man. This is someone who is devoted and who's dedicated to Christ. But at the same time, he recognizes his duty to mankind. Have you heard the expression, they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? That shouldn't be true. If we're heavenly minded, biblically, if we're heavenly minded according to the word of God, we will be earthly useful more than ever. Men, you'll be more useful as a husband, as a father, 
in the workplace. Ladies, you'll be more useful as a mom, as a wife. If you're working, you'll be more useful than ever. And that leads to brotherly kindness. Look at verse 7. And to godliness, add brotherly kindness. This is the word where we would get the name Philadelphia. The city of brotherly love. Where they encourage you, if you're a tourist, to carry your own body chalk. No, they don't. I just, I just made that up. But I didn't make up brotherly kindness. Add to godliness brotherly kindness. This affects our interpersonal relationships. This means that relationships with our fellow man are not an imposition. They're not a nuisance. Oh no. Not him again. Oh no, not her again. And it all comes back. I don't need to say it after every one of these qualities, but it all comes back to be our being submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't do these things in your own flesh. And then the last one is charity. Verse 7. And to brotherly kindness, charity. This is also a word for love. This is the self-sacrificing love. This is the self-sacrificing love that Christ displays on us. And that we're supposed to emulate in our lives. This is the kind of love that says, I will give 100% to you regardless what you do for me. There is a love that says, I'll give to you as long as you're giving to me. Hey, husbands and wives get this messed up. We don't consider ourselves counselors, but we counsel. We counsel with the word of God. And I find, I find that sometimes the guy's willing to give it all, and the wife is not. And then the reverse is true. A week later, and his attitude was, well, I tried it, and it didn't work. No, we keep trying, men, in the power of the Spirit of God, regardless of her response. And ladies, you keep trying, regardless of his response. And this is not just in a marriage. This is in our interpersonal relationships in the church. This is the kind of love that says, I will not insist on my own way. Ha, I was in a church one time. I walked into the church. The pews were red, yellow, green, blue. Say, that sounds like an Awana. No, it wasn't an Awana church. And I jokingly said to someone, what? Couldn't they decide on the upholstery to use? And the head kind of went down and says, that's what happened a lot of years ago. So I demand red pews. And, and so they did every, every one were four in a row. And then they repeated it. And I, I, I'm right and you have to do things my way. That's not what we're talking about here. This is not the charity. So once again, this is, I will give 100% to you, regardless of what you give to me. Pastor, this is not a pastor's conference where I would be preaching and encouraging preachers, but I would say to you and to me, while this is true of all of us, this is especially true of the preachers. 
If people appreciate you, and I hope you people show your appreciation. If people appreciate you, that's a bonus. You do it whether they appreciate you or not. Now don't put them to the test, okay? That would be like saying, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, God forbid. But do your work for God, dear brother. Let's go by way of conclusion, and I've got one, two, three things. There's an encouragement in verse 8. An encouragement in verse 8. For if these things be in you, well, he says if. No, no. Usually, and I know you're using some different versions, but in the King James Bible where we see the word if, it means since. And so some of your translations will say, since these things be in you. It's an expectation from the provision of God. Since these things be in you and abound, I like that. I think of Tigger. Boing, boing, boing. These things should be abounding in you. They make you that ye shall neither be barren or unfruitful. We're not talking about childbearing. You, these make you that ye shall neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the second time knowledge is mentioned. In verse 3, knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is so important. While that includes getting to know more about him, the real meaning here is that you get to know him better. As I mentioned, Terry and I are married just nearly 50 years. We got married when we were 10. No, we didn't. I'm still, if I pay attention... I'm still getting to know her. And even after 50 years, or we say even especially after 50 years, we're still getting to know each other. And I know she's still getting to know me. It, it shows in a lot of areas. Sometimes in the way we care for each other. This is not a marriage seminar. It does affect us, humanly speaking, but it stems from our relationship with God. That's how we need to be with one another. That my concern for you, not just husbands and wives, should be your best interest, not my best interest. So there's an encouragement. Are you getting to know Jesus Christ better? The knowledge of Jesus Christ means, you can mark your Bible, the knowledge of Jesus Christ means getting to know Christ better. Are you doing that? There is a warning. Look at verse 9. But he that lacketh these things... Well, well, maybe God just hasn't given them to me. I admire that guy that has these, but God hasn't given them to me. No, that's not the case. If you don't have these things, it's because you're choosing not to participate. It may not be a conscious decision, but you neglect the word of God, you neglect prayer, neglect God's people. These things aren't evident in my life. That's my choice. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten. There's a lot in this verse. Has forgotten that he was purged from your old sins. We have been purged. Verse 9. So there are sad results in this warning. There are sad results if we, by choice, lack these things. What are they? Number one, we grow blind. It's not that we're smitten by blindness, but we grow blind. 
by our choice, by our neglect, or by our disobedience, we are left without the guiding light that our precious Lord desires for us. He says we are blind, and you may think this is the same thing, but it's a little bit different. We are blind, and then secondly, we cannot see afar off. The Greek words here are intriguing and instructive. It can mean a spiritual short-sightedness to see people and circumstances only as they appear in the moment. Boy, that guy, he's so messed up. And I, I, he, I know this, and I know this, and, and all I see is what's there in the moment. I don't see what happened years ago, and I don't see the growth. The fact that he's incorporating the things of Christ in his life, and he's overcoming, they can mean a spiritual short-sightedness to see people and their circumstances only as they appear at the moment. That would be the fleshly view. Rather than taking the long spiritual view. And that would be a proper view of God. I thought we were talking about people. It would be a proper view of God and his sovereignty that's working in their heart. And that's working in their lives. So it can mean a spiritual short-sightedness. Or secondly, it could mean blinking or shutting the eyes. Do you see the choice there? We become blind. And the word of God is saying, do this. And here's an opportunity right here to do this. And I go, I don't see that. Or I go, nope, I don't see that. And it's all spiritual, of course. We're not talking physically, of course. We're spiritual. It's referring to our choice to spiritually ignore what we don't want to see. Spiritual short-sightedness or blinking or shutting our eyes. Or the third one, there's a risk of forgetting what Christ has done. Why am I so impatient with that person? I forget what Christ has done in my life and in theirs. He's purged us from sin. So there's an encouragement. There's a warning. And then there is, Peter ends with an admonition. See it in verse 10? Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. He's not saying earn it. He's not saying if you don't, you lose it. You lose the, the practical spiritual benefits of being a believer. Give diligence means to make an effort. And it means to be prompt. It means to be earnest. It means to be energetic. And as we do this, we will not fall. You see where it says, and ye shall never fall? We will not fall. And he's not just referring to our eternal security, but he's referring to day-by-day -day victory in Christ. He's not referring to sinless perfection, but rather the confidence that we'll never be left behind in our spiritual journey. This isn't directly a reference to the rapture. While it could apply to that, it's just talking about our spiritual journey. So as believers, we face stuff spiritually, but emotionally, sometimes physically, we face stuff that will throw us off track. 
And dear people, I, I trust you look over your shoulder as you look at the notes and the message from the Word of God today and ask the Lord to help us refocus on Him. Not to be blinking, not to be closing our eyes, even to our spiritual blessings and benefit. Ask the Lord to help us refocus on Him and enjoy, can I use this term, the victorious participation. Really, if we had to put a tag on this, it could be victorious participation in his mission field, our day-by-day -day living. Dear friends, we are indeed thoroughly furnished. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scriptures given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I'll, I'll explain that more. But then verse 17 says that the man of God, that means the person of God, may be thoroughly furnished. Wow. Now, not in a bragging way, not in a self-confident way, but we could hold our shoulders straight and say, wow. You know what God just said about me? I am thoroughly furnished unto all good works. As Christians, we don't do good works to get saved. But we do good works because we are already saved. So we are indeed thoroughly furnished as we minister for his glory. Let's bow our heads, please. I want to give you an opportunity to take a time of silent prayer. Then, Pastor, I'll take another minute or so, if I may, and then you come and close us however the Lord leads you. Let's pray. I'll quit talking. You pray. Time of silent prayer. Boys and girls, you've been really, really good. We're going to only be a couple more minutes, okay? Let's pray. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I don't know what this last minute of prayer time has been for you. Hopefully, something along the lines of, Lord, help me appropriate these amazing truths in my life. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and I'm looking around, I want you to know that. Pastor, I'll ask you if you'd like to be looking around, you could do so too. And if your response today, if you're ask the Lord to help you appropriate this or ask the Lord to help you be more faithful or whatever that prayer would be. If you've, if you've offered some kind of prayer to the Lord to, to help you move on and if you'd like your pastor to pray for you, now he won't call you by name, so here's the invitation. If you've made a decision and you'd like pastor to pray for you, I'm not talking about salvation. If you'd like your pastor to pray for you, just slip up your hand. You'll be saying, Pastor, I made some decisions this morning. Yes, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Yes, sir. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Many, many, many of us. Amen. And, and, and I want you to pray for me, Pastor, talking to your own pastor. Amen. Good. This will be the last time that I ask. Are there others? You haven't raised your hand, but just slip up your hand and say, uh, I made some decisions today. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Joe, would you pray for me? Anyone else? Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Pastor, would you come and just however the Lord leads you, be sure and remember to pray for these folks, though, okay? Thank you, sir. The Bible talks a lot about remembering who he is, remembering certain things, remember leaders, remember what he's written, and uh, we're going to remember you this morning in prayer. So let's, let's ask the Lord here to honor the decisions that you're making for him this morning. Lord, we do come humbly before you, Lord, and has been presented from this passage of Scripture today, Lord, the 
inevitable truths, the self-evident truths of your word. And uh, Father, I, I pray that the power that you that is talked about in this passage of Scripture may, may be upon those who raise their hand, Lord. You know the different areas of the life. You know the struggles. You know our uprisings and our downsittings. And Father, you've given to each of us all grace that we need in time of help, in time of need. And Lord, we just lift them up to you this morning, Lord. You know what the, the issues are of the heart. You know the issues of the mind. You know the interpersonal struggles that might be there, the conditional love rather than unconditional. And Father, we just we ask for you to do a, a work that only you can in our heart, to change our mind, to renew a change of mind that results in a change of direction. And Father, help us to see victory in our lives in these areas as your Holy Spirit works within us, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. And Father, I thank you for our brother and the way that he was rightly dividing the word of truth today. And Father, for the power that it has to speak to the innermost part of ourselves. And Lord, I, I, I know there's probably some here today who, who don't know you as Savior. Maybe we played the part or maybe we've acted on a, a knowledge of religion, but we've never taken that personal step of faith, that step that says, I don't care what man thinks, I don't care what other people think, I care what God thinks. And uh, we call on the name of the Lord and we're saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And Father, if there's somebody here who needs to know you as their personal Savior, Father, I pray nobody can get saved for them. They, gotta, they have to get saved for themselves. I pray, Father, that they would not leave the building today before they ask Brother Bill, myself, or any other believer in the church, the one maybe who even invited them, to be sure that if they were to die today, they would know you as their Savior. They would be in heaven. These are written that you might know that you have eternal life. It's not something we wonder about. It's not something that's intangible. We can know that we have everlasting life. And your word, Father, tells us that it's true. So, Lord, we lift these things up to you today. Give strength to overcome. Give a new mindset. Renew our minds. And, Father, may we walk by faith and not by sight. And may you get the glory and may it help others as we do so. In your name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.